You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP, the educational podcast for busy GPs. My name is Christina and today I am joined by Sonia Criddle to chat about perinatal palliative care. Welcome Sonia and thanks for giving up some time today to have a yarn with The Good GP podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, Sonia, just by way of introduction, you've been a clinical midwife for around 17 years or so, not to give away any ages there. And over the last sort of five or six years, you've been working as the clinical midwife specialist for the perinatal loss service at King Edward Memorial Hospital in Western Australia. And I guess for our listeners that might not have much of an idea or context for this service, it is a multidisciplinary service that provides care for families that have experienced perinatal death or pregnancy loss. So you have a really important role in what is a very valuable and much needed services for families who go through this devastating time. And I thank you again for giving up your time to share your experience and your knowledge with our listeners today. No problem. You're right. It's a very specialised area and a unique area that unfortunately not a lot of people talk about because it's a sad topic and sometimes a bit of a taboo topic amongst community, but it's something that unfortunately happens a lot and we do need to talk about it and in all the avenues and get the knowledge and support out there to the families and the community, the you know, the other healthcare professionals who deal with our families once they've left us. So it's a it's an important topic that we need to share. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And it's something that I think all health professionals involved in the care of families have some role to play in this. At whatever time in the family's journey that might arise, but everyone has an important role. And like you say, it's important that we're all on board and talking from the same page and providing that support for families. I wanted to start off just with a really basic question around what is perinatal palliative care because I guess GPs will be quite familiar with providing palliative care. We often think of it, I guess, in the other end of the life spectrum though, you know, with elderly patients. I think it's quite confronting to think about perinatal palliative care. Whenever we talk about the death of a younger person, child, and in this situation, in that perinatal period, it's quite a confronting thing to think about and to talk about and to go through with our patients. So I wonder whether you could just spend a little bit of time just telling us what you mean when you talk about perinatal palliative care. Absolutely. So perinatal palliative care in the scheme of things is relatively newish, I guess. The model of care was only formally printed and released in 2015, but we've been doing it at King Edward certainly for 10 to 15 years, offering that care to families with a baby who have been diagnosed with a life-limiting condition in the perinatal period. So we're talking in the pregnancy in the first 28 days of life is the neonatal side of things. And you're right, we often think of palliative care with cancer and aged care, but there are actually models of care out there for paediatrics and adolescents and adults, but there was no specific care plan or model for that perinatal period, which we needed to deal with. So this is when a family are diagnosed with a prenatal diagnosis of a fetal anomaly or a life-limiting condition, or when a neonate is born severely pre-viable and the option of either ending pregnancy or not being able to continue life support in a neonate for one reason or another, then we talk about what option is there and that's where the palliative care management comes into it. So it's a a holistic approach to support the end-of-life care for the fetus and the newborn and their families. 
And the aim of it is to provide that best care during the pregnancy, childbirth and the newborn period with a family with that decision of, of care. So that's where where I sit in with it. And as we go through, I'm sure we'll talk about how these decisions are made and how the families enter into these, to, to making that choice of palliative care. Sonia, you touched on a couple of scenarios, I guess, when perinatal palliative care might be considered. Did you want to run through that a little bit more? Absolutely, yeah. There's three main pathways into our, our model of care. And if GPs or whoever want to download the model of care, it's easy access through the Health WA website or the WA Cancer and Palliative Care Network. And on page 10, it's got a really good visual display of how those pathways work. So I'll run through the key three. The first one, I guess, is the prenatal diagnosis of a fetal anomaly or a life-limiting condition. And often those families are referred into our maternal fetal medicine specialist area at King Edward where we managed all the high risk and fetal anomalies there. Um, We run obviously through diagnosis, through amniocentesis, CVS, ultrasounds, MRIs, genetic testing, all that kind of stuff and come up with this diagnosis and talk about the options of care and early in pregnancies Pregnancy interruption can be an option, but it's not an option for all families for whatever reason, personal, cultural, spiritual belief systems. And that's when we do say this is not the only decision. You can continue your pregnancy knowing that your baby will not survive this condition and elect to have palliative management. We're quite relatively strict, I guess, on palliative management. We either have a palliative management or a neonatal pathway. And neonatal pathways will go through special care nursery. Our palliative care in a prenatally diagnosed baby will come through and just have care on the ward with us, knowing that we're not going to offer resuscitation for this baby. The other pathways is when it's a pre-viable, preterm infant that it's not able to be resuscitated. So we're talking 22, 23 week preterm birth, where it's just not at that gestation, we're able to offer resuscitation. But there is a chance that that baby may be born alive. And at that stage, we say, I'm sorry, but this is baby's just so, so preterm that this is not something that we can offer them. And we talk about how we'll manage their care there. And then there's the newborns that may be diagnosed postnatally with an anomaly or a life-limiting condition. It may not have been picked up antenatally and it might be picked up in the neonatal unit. Again, it's a multidisciplinary team diagnosis and have neonatal paediatric consults all the way through. And then the families from there will decide to make that call for palliative management from the special care nursery there ending intervention and treatments down there. So they're the three pathways, prenatal, pre-viable and diagnose newborns postnatally. So you mentioned about the model of care that you have at King Edward and I know that there are some, I guess, guiding principles for that model of care. I'm just interested if you could expand on that for our listeners as well. Yeah, there's about four key principles involved and they're all adapted from our paediatric and adolescent model of care and it's all about the right care at the right time and the right team and the right place. So the right care we're talking about being newborn and family focused we're dealing with the physical spiritual psychological and cultural needs directing that care to be provided palliative care can be accessible at any stage in the fetus and the newborn and that mother's journey through it may be antipartum maybe intrapartum at birth 
or postnatal. So it just depends on how she comes into the system and what stage we see them and, and what conditions, you know, providing the right time for her. The team, as I said, it's a specialist multidisciplinary team. It includes maternal fetal medicine, neonates, genetic services. It may be involving cardiology. Of course, then you've still got the midwives, the social work, the perinatal loss service, the pastoral care, social work. So it's a really multidisciplinary team providing all the needs for that family on a case-by-case scenario. And then the right place. We often will start the care at King Edward, but it can it can continue out. We do have access statewide to these services and we have managed community-based palliative care where our families may be from remote communities or up north, out country, and are sent down to us because of the diagnosis of their baby. But it's just not the right place for them to deliver. And we will use telehealth services to provide multidisciplinary conference meetings amongst the teams back home in their country, where they're comfortable, where their family is. As long as we've got a supportive team out there, obstetrically and neonatally, then that might be the right place for them. So we've got to really work with the families on an individual basis and consider all all the circumstances to provide safe care for the mum and the baby in these settings. So it's just really trying to implement individual circumstantial care for these families. Yeah, so I guess really comprehensive care that's tailored to that individual family and their needs at that point. Absolutely. I guess a really important part of those guiding principles, you know, in terms of delivering the right care and the right team, you know, et cetera, is is how we communicate with families. And I think this is a big thing that we hear about that can really make a difference to a family's journey through this very difficult time is, is the way they're communicated with from different members of the health professional team. And I guess most of our listeners will be GPs and they might be involved in various parts of this journey for some GPs maybe even right from the initial sort of I guess diagnosis of a life-limiting condition for example after coming back from a morphology scan and told to follow up with their GP and you've got to break that news to them that something adverse has been found or potentially a, a woman presenting let's say with reduced fetal movements and then unable to find a fetal heart um, and having to send them in the GP might actually be that sort of initial point of contact in that situation yeah. um, and so really important the first contact and then the first way that family has received that information which is such an important time important role I just wonder you know talking through how as GPs we can best communicate you know are there some principles that we can fall back on I guess to talk to families during this time yeah look I think it's really important you're right the GPs are often they um, they go back to your GP and, and get referrals in and they do get stuck with that sometimes the hard news and we do unfortunately have families coming to us not knowing why they've been sent in from their GPs because some GPs aren't familiar, aren't comfortable with sharing that news, don't exactly know what is wrong and they just do a referral say you need to go in. (laughs) That can be confronting not only for the GPs but for the families and when we see them not knowing exactly why they're here. I think keeping that really open, honest, early information sharing with the family is important and if the GPs don't know 
be honest and do the referrals in saying there is a condition I'm not sure we need to get some tertiary input here and go from there but you're right they aren't equipped sometimes GPs with knowing exactly how the best approach is we talk about ways of communication is being open honest quiet timely having someone there for support is always a good thing for breaking bad news to the families but as how they come in initially you're right again Often with the first trimester screening or the anatomy scan showing a fetal condition which needs tertiary input referral comes to us and we start dealing with it at King Edward. And we often case manage and I will eventually, if the decision is made for palliative care and the case manager, but there's a lot of work up before it gets to me. There's confirming the diagnosis, the obstetricians in neonatal review offering the options of care and how they're going to manage that particular case. If when that final decision is made for palliative care, then I become the case manager and that's when I communicate with the families, the obstetrics team the neonates and and make the plan and make sure everyone's involved as we need to go along often we will see them a few times quite a few times through the antenatal period and it depends how the patient wants to run it they will often have shared care with their gps some of them will say no i just want care through king edward and then the GPs will kind of miss out on all that stuff and not see them until post-delivery. So it is really variable. It depends on the relationship that the patient has with their GP. It depends how much the GP feels comfortable being involved in their care. At King Edward, we will see them antenatally and make a palliative care plan for them. And decisions aren't made on the first time we meet with them, but we will meet and talk to them how we're going to manage them antenatally, going through labour and birth and then postnatal care and break it down into really clearly defining how we're going to manage the labour and birth, not intervene, not act on fetal distress, really get down to the nitty gritty bits of it. And then what we're going to offer for resuscitation, which is usually quite limited at birth, and then talk about postnatal care. Once we come up with those decisions, we'll write the care plan out, give a copy to the family, keep a copy in our notes, medical records at the hospital. And at that point, some families might choose to have a copy to go through their GP if they've got that good relationship saying, this is what I'm going, um, have that extra community support, talk things over that they may have not thought of whilst with us at the hospital and be involved at that point. Not a lot of the time will that happen in my experience, but every now and then, and especially if they're country patients, they'll often share it with their country GPs. So then we go through to the point of delivery and discharging from the hospital. And if a baby is born alive and is still alive, talking 24, 48 hours post-delivery, that's when we start thinking about discharge. And that's when GPs come into it again. We like to send them home with support for maternal care and obviously neonatal care. We will offer GPs to be involved in that point. Do they want to manage that side of things? Again, there are not a lot of GPs who are able or comfortable doing home visits, being accessible at odd hours, being able to go into the home, deal with the family, deal with the neonate, certifying the death when it passes away. So quite often we would involve Silver Chain for that uh, neonatal care and our visiting midwife service for the maternal care. But certainly at the time of discharge, the GPs will always be contacted 
by our midwifery staff to let them know that the mum is going back out into the community, that she has delivered. This is the situation with her baby. She may present while the baby's alive or when the baby passes away, just so they're of a mindset of this is a potential situation that our family may walk in and see me on and it might be a really really distressing time for them to be aware of what is happening with their family is really important and I think having that extra person that they can go to in the community and knowing that they know what is happening in their lives is really important because they are involved in their postnatal care and being aware of the support out into the community that the GPs can then refer them on to is really important. We try and refer our families on and give them as much information as we can, making sure they're empowered and they're making their own decisions and that it's not rushed. We will give them oral information, websites to access specialist areas or support groups, depending on the condition, uh, written information, as much as they can. So we encourage that communication and sharing with the GPs as well. And if in doubt, refer on and ask questions. It's, it's really important to have that open, honest, free communication between everyone. Yeah, and I guess pick up the phone sometimes if you're unsure too in terms of what the implications of something might mean and the last thing you want to do is give the wrong information. That's right, yeah. The family, which can be heartbreaking and, you know, confusing for them as well. Yeah, that's right. So I guess expanding along that line of communication, thinking around decision making at this time, because there are often some big decisions to make around how families move forward. You touched on, you know, whether or not family chooses to terminate a pregnancy at the diagnosis of a life-limiting condition or whether they decide to proceed, decisions around end-of-life care and even around what investigations to do afterwards, especially maybe in an unexpected scenario, for example, stillbirth, whether that family chooses to go on and do an autopsy, for example. And often these decisions might be made at that tertiary level. But I think my experience as a GP is that often patients, they will go to their appointments and they'll have sort of a lot of information given to them and sometimes a little bit overwhelming. And then I think you even mentioned it before, they sort of come away from that and they might you know, have suddenly think of all these questions they didn't ask or want another sort of another person to just bounce this sort of stuff off. Mm. And often we end up being that source for the patient as the GP. So I just wonder if, you know, you have any thoughts around that, how health professionals, but I guess specifically GPs can support families in their decision making during this time. Yeah, again, there is so many levels that where they where the decisions come in and where the GPs may be involved. So starting at the beginning, I guess, uh, right back to your first trimester screening, often the GPs will notify if it's considered a high-risk first trimester screen and require that referral in. We consider high risk with a greater than or less than risk, one in 300, anything less than that should come to King Edwards. And early, it shouldn't be delayed. You know, as soon as we get notified of a high risk um, first trimester screen, they should definitely be coming in and given those early options of intervention or, or further investigations such as CVS or amniocentesis and that doesn't necessarily have to be done at King Edwards. It can be privately outsourced through NIPT bloods or private amniocentesis. So again, it's not only us, it's all out in the community. But again, if that comes back, if that further testing comes back with a positive result, then definitely we do need to to be notified. King Edward is the only place in WA, besides Broome, having said that, in the last 18 months, who are approved to do pregnancy interruptions greater than 20 weeks. 
So greater than 20 weeks, definitely we need to see them. And giving that information that at the GP levels that these are the sorts of options you may be given begins that thought process for the families that they may have to go down these different pathways. Genetic services can quite often be involved and give them um, more information and quite often information is printed out for them so they may take it back to their GP. Again, if in doubt, I really encourage that the GPs access information before they confuse the families. If they're not comfortable talking about it, let them know saying this is not my area of specialty, but also supporting their decisions and not influencing their thoughts on pathways by their own personal experience. When a family does experience stillbirth, you're right, again, there's a whole pile of investigations that are on offer. Our guidelines are all run by the Pazance guidelines, the Perinatal Australian New Zealand guidelines. And depending on the scenario, prenatal diagnosis, unexpected stillbirth, there may be a variety of blood tests offered, a post-mortem examination. Again, it's all generally dealt with at King Edward or in the hospital where the stillbirth occurs. But Decisions aren't need to be made right then and there on the spot and families may make a phone call back to their GP for that extra input and thought and consideration if they've got that good relationship with their GPs. Personally, with an unexpected, unexplained stillbirth, I encourage families to have postmortem examination because it may influence on future pregnancy planning. It certainly helps the family deal with that experience. We can't guarantee we're going to come back with an absolute definition of why their baby passed away, but it can certainly rule out what didn't happen, which in a way is giving the families answers. So I certainly encourage it, but I also respect it's not right for everyone. So giving that family options but no pressure is really important and I think that has to be multidisciplinary team-wide that ultimately this is the family's decision and they've got to do the right thing for them but they've also got to be really well informed and consider that we do see quite a diverse community out there so we do encourage families and clinicians to use interpreting services just so we can ensure that our families are making informed, fully informed choices and they know exactly what's on offer and they can understand those decisions. And with the postmortem results, we are often send a copy to the GP so the GP can have that on the record. Generally speaking, we won't allow reports to go out to the community until we've had a chance to go through that with the families just so they have the opportunity to ask us questions. Again, it may not be a specialised area of the GPs and they may not understand them and may misinterpret it. I'm not trying to have a go <laughs> or anything, but it's just not every GP's specialised area. So it's really good for us to go through it with them, but then for the GPs to get a copy so they know what's going on and the families can go back to them and refer back to that report. So that is certainly available to GPs, getting all those results sent out to them. I guess the other thing is that I have had a couple of queries in the past from GPs about funeral arrangements to know that King Edward has a pastoral care team who can help guide the families into their options of funeral services for their babies. It can be 
quite led by law. So by law in WA, all stillbirth greater than 28 weeks or any neonatal death at any gestation do require an outside funeral service with an outside company, which does come at a cost to the families. But at King Edward, we also offer free cremation services for babies born, stillborn, less than 28 weeks. So there are quite clear laws and guidelines that we are run by. And to, again, have the correct information when you're talking to families is really important because that can be quite devastating if we get that information wrong. So if in doubt, phone a friend. Um, that friend can be me or the pastoral care service at King Edward or just referring on to funeral directors for that information. And they do have all that stuff as linked through the King Edward website if it's after hours or whatever. But we're always happy to offer advice and information to assist your families and the community. It's just a matter of making contact with us to to share that information. Yeah, and I guess important for GPs that might be practising outside of WA as well to remember that there are variances and so it's important to make sure that they know what that variance is in their particular jurisdiction mm. and getting in contact with their tertiary referral hospital if they're in doubt as well would be, would be important. Yeah. I really wanted to touch on supporting families during this time you know, what services are available for families and practical ways that GPs can support a family during such a difficult time? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, is the biggest question that I do get from GPs. Look, I think it's really important to remember the grief support services out in the community. They have all this acute on-site service at the hospital and then they leave home and it all kind of comes crashing down on them and that's when they need to engage in the support services. So SANS and Red Nose are both specific grief support services that deal with families going through pregnancy loss, be that palliative care, termination of pregnancy, miscarriage or neonatal death. And they both have really good websites, online chats, at the moment Zoom meetings because of the restrictions, but otherwise they do have face-to-face. They do have men and women and their services, so families are well supported. And it's not only just for the, the immediate family, it's for grandparents and children who are going through that journey with the family. So that's two key grief support services. But also engaging with specific community groups depending on the condition that their baby has. So a lot of people will get on community sites. There's Trisomy 18 foundations. There's Hearts for Hope foundations with babies with cardiac conditions. So specific community support groups are out there. Being aware of our cold women who come across quite socially isolated to be involved with social workers and community agencies out there such as ISHA and Centre Care and Communicare can often be helpful. Liaising with the Aboriginal Liaison Officer at the hospital, bearing in mind that grief is a grief journey, not a mental illness, but certainly can develop into depression so just making sure that we keep an eye on our families as they go on in ongoing weeks and months and to support and monitor their mental health condition you may need to do a referral down the track for psychological medicine input but just being there for the families in the community don't be afraid to bring up the situation and talk about it acknowledge the diagnosis and their personal wishes without judgment if the baby has a name refer to it by name don't be afraid of bringing it up because they're sad and hurting anyway. And having that opportunity to talk to GPs might just be another outlet 
for them, being aware that the families might want extra visits at the time in the community just for a bit of mental health checkup, um, and seeing families separately as in the mums and the dads differently because sometimes they're too afraid to to let on that they're not coping individually and and you might be that person that recognizes that for them yeah those those are my key points yeah and I think that there's some really um, great practical tips as well even just when you say enabling regular follow-up and not being afraid to book Mm. in some you know regular follow-up appointments and sometimes you can feel like oh in this situation I don't know what to say to them and it's all just so hard but I think just having that contact and checking in is actually really powerful for families and not sort of all right well that's done and now we just sort of move on it's just that checking in how are you going and how can I support you at this point and what can we do and and just Mm. and and continuing to acknowledge that it's happened and that that family sits with that grief for a long time. I think for GPs being empowered and learning a bit more about their topic can help their own knowledge and power I guess as well and there are so many online resources through the King Edward website whether they go to the WA Cancer Council to have a look at the model of care, the SOSU statewide obstetric support unit, getting online, having and looking at the SANS and Red Nose online you know, website so they know what they're talking about, know what they can offer. For the stillbirth education with a safer baby bundle being launched this year, getting online and doing that online training for the safer baby bundle can help support the GPs in their knowledge and updating everything there. So I think taking that a little bit of professional development home yeah. <laughs> and doing it for them, themselves is, is good for them as well because things do change and things do update and, and new services are out there. So for the GPs just to learn a little bit more and re- refresh their memories isn't a bad thing either. Yeah, that's great, Sonia. Well, look, thank you so much. You know, we've covered what is a really important topic, I think, for GPs to be across when they're supporting families during this time and really gone through, I guess, a lot of what is offered at hospital level, but then what can be done by the GP, you know, in the primary care setting as well, which is really important. So thank you again for your time and for all of your valuable insights. I really appreciate it. No problem. Pleasure. And happy to be called by GPs if they need. Thanks, Sonia. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.